Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. You know we got to talk about the Fram, a.k.a. Fram. For over 80 years, Fram has been a leader in automotive filtration because that's the only thing they do. Filters. Actually, Fram, another thing you do is support podcasters by advertising on their platform. So, hey, I'm sure you're great at filtering for autos, but you're also fantastic about putting food on my family's plates. But do yourselves a favor. If you want to protect your well-oiled machine or breathe easier when driving, Fram has the right filter for every kind of driver. Fram oil filters are American-made, tough, and feature SureGrip technology. No slip grip for easy install and remove, even with an oily hand or glove. I know my listeners have some of the oiliest hands and gloves in society. Fram cabin air filters filter out contaminants like exhaust fumes, allergens, and pollution. And with the power of Arm & Hammer baking soda, you can breathe easy with an odorless interior. So find the filter that's right for you and go to Fram.com today. That's F-R-A-M.com. No matter how you drive, Fram has the right filter for you. Head over to Fram.com. That's F-R-A-M.com and find your perfect filter today. Fram! Fram! Let the boys be boys! What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy. Also, your neighbor screaming with his window open during quarantine, Johnny G, standing six foot two, 288 pounds. It's me, John Gabris. Joining me as always in the High and Mighty studio is my nearly silent co-host, Arthur Gabris. Arthur, give him a shout out. He is the number one dog. Blah! I am also joined in the High and Mighty Studios from first-time guests, long time. How would you describe it? Uh, we are loosely connected in a series of different ways, but between me reading your writing, you listening to podcasts. Guys, it's from Goldstein and Gasol. It's Pablo Goldstein. Howdy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me uh, on this Zoom call, Gabrus. <laughs> truly an honor. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Pablo's got to be like, I'm not in the studio, please. I am respond. I'm doing social distancing. Oh, I feel so bad for your neighbors. This, it's. <laughs> I, I had my first neighbor say, "I'm." Weirdly enough, my barber used to be my upstairs neighbor, and then one time when I was getting a haircut, he's like, "Do you do something weird downstairs?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, blah blah blah." But then today, uh, like this week, my neighbor who's right there uh, was like. Hey, I heard you shouting about your podcast and I Googled and then like, he's like, I'm actually friends with Amir from HeadGum. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, he like, that's my worst nightmare is being found out. Not only just like, oh, he is a podcaster, but oh, I can hear the title of that podcast. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be so much better if they thought you were just a creep. But now that they know <laughs> your podcast and they like it. Ugh, yeah, I'd much rather than be like, I hate my neighbor. He yells rather than like, I actually started listening and now I too want to be a jones beach lifeguard or whatever <laughs> um wait did i say 
uh, the name of your podcast correctly? Yes, yes. Goldstein and Gasol is uh, the project of mine. Um, I'm the Goldstein in it. Yes. Uh, the, the Gasol in it is Pal <laughs> Gasol, formerly of the Lakers, one of my favorite players of all time. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so should I should I just explain what it is? It yeah, makes- let's explain what it is, and then we'll talk we'll talk NBA shit right after. Yeah, yeah. So so this is a project of mine um, that's inspired by Julia and Julia, which <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people know. It's that book and movie um, where a, a woman back in 2002 who hated her life, who was working at the Lower Manhattan Development Center, like after 9/11, taking like angry calls from you know, family members of the victims, she decided to cook every recipe, all 520 something of them from Julia Childs, uh, mastering the art of French cooking. And she cooked all 524 in 365 days. And so my Jesus. rip off, is, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 a couple of years ago, I bought this uh, Lakers cookbook from 1985 that the Laker wives put together. And basically the 1985 world champion Lakers are cooking family cookbook is a cookbook that has recipes from star names like Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, the owner, Jerry Buss, but also recipes from the Laker wives, the training staff, um, (laughs) celebrities like Jack Nicholson, Gene Wilder, Gilda Radner, all the way down to D-list celebs, uh, the mayor of LA at the time, assistants, secretaries, complete random people. And so I uh, decided to cook all 82 recipes, or I decided to cook 82 recipes from this cookbook, one for each game of the Lakers regular season, and write 82 pieces about the people who contributed uh, the recipes. Um, It's an extremely stupid project. And I started thinking, you know, this would be a, interesting season for the Lakers and basketball in general. I had no idea that, you know, Kobe Bryant would die in a fiery helicopter accident. Um, that- and that wouldn't be the worst news of 2020. <laughs> like that's like, if you're a Lakers fan, Kobe Bryant dying is like, so, I mean, if you're a basketball fan or a, a fan of athletes and general, whatever, you're so upset that Kobe Bryant of size and you're like, this is the worst thing that happened to basketball. And then the next two weeks later, you're like, Oh fuck, never mind. It, it could actually get worse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea that on a Wednesday night back in March that we would all learn that uh, a Utah jazz player would contract COVID and the entire country would shut down immediately after his <laughs> positive test. Oh, what a fun, what a fun NBA season it's been. What was that player's name? Was that uh, the one who touched all the mics and then got COVID? <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, Rudy Gobert of the Utah jazz. Yeah. And then uh, he was like uh, America's canary in the coal mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I read a really good article that, you know, people rightfully made fun of him for a couple of days. But then someone kind of pointed out and was like, you know, to be honest, the NBA shutting down was the key event that forced every other business in America to shut down. Yeah. So if it wasn't for Rudy Gobert being kind of a dumbass, he he could have possibly saved thousands of lives by forcing think, us to shut down. I think you might be right. I would say that like if you were tracking moments to say like that moment was probably a sort of uh, butterfly effect of way let like once the NBA shuts down that everyone takes heat or takes a hint from that and continues on with shutting down and shit. Something yeah. that happened to me was I was that week that mid March week went before. I was going to Vegas that weekend to watch March Madness. I had my hotels booked, reservations. I'd never been for March Madness weekend, which I've been dying to do. Not that I'm a huge basketball head, as we'll get into, but... You love betting. I love betting. I love gambling, (laughs) yeah. And I love NCAA basketball, too, because it's just like, who the hell is playing in these games, especially when it's like a college name that I don't even recognize. Like, there's something appealing uh, to that. And so I was so pumped. And we were that week... News was coming in. I was supposed to go on tour with the Doughboys. They were like, we're going to maybe cancel our show. I had just gotten back from a high and mighty tour. So I was like, not afraid of traveling and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, as far as we know, we're still going to Vegas. It's like, well, let's wait and see what happens. Let's keep our Vegas reservations. We got to watch it. And then 
March Madness canceled. <laughs> we were like, well, if March Madness is canceled, maybe we should not go to the fucking win or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the NBA and the NCAA, two yeah. businesses that love making money, are yeah. like, we'll destroy our finances. Right. <laughs> start taking shit seriously. Yeah. That was like understanding what that means financially for like advertisers and everything and all the trickle down of all that. I was like, well, if they're willing to get the fuck out of here, there is no way we should be going. We finally made the call. Oh, no. This was the funny. We made the call, and we were very proud of ourselves. Like, you know what? Forget it. And then, like, an hour and a half later, uh, it was announced that March Madness was canceled. And we were like, oh, okay, yeah. And then Vegas Hotel shut down and everything. But we we beat, we beat made, like, the smart decision before any before uh, right, right. truly limiting factors came in swinging. <laughs> well, well, the good news is Vegas is back open again. So you can go there still. And then, you know. Whew, bet on I, other, you can bet on cricket. You can bet on uh, yeah. well, NBA is coming back in a month. For uh... Uh, well, you know what I've been getting into is I uh, used to play rugby. I still do once in a while. And uh, my best friend, one of my best friends out here, is an Aussie who uh, Australia's uh, uh, national rugby league, uh, which is a different sport, which is like a ten man version of rugby. It's like a slightly different sport, is back. So he's like adopt a team. I'll, uh, and so me and a couple of Aussie friends were on a text thread, and I I just kind of told them the attitude I wanted in a team because I was like, yeah. there's no like New York equivalent, so I was like, oh, I want blah blah blah. Tell me, and I'm like, I don't. They're like, this team's like the Patriots. They're really good. I'm like, I can't have that. They're like, this team has got is kind of full of like weird fans, and one of the things they say is it's time to get milky or let's get milky. And it's like <laughs> some dumb chant. And I was like, that's my team. So now I've been supporting Canberra in the fucking uh, national rugby, and I the games are on at like two thirty in the morning, and I just wake up and watch highlights on YouTube, and like this has been my little pet project so that's oh, the- a canberra fan are you oh, <laughs> yeah man, we're, we're not gonna get along <laughs> yeah, right. you just oh. click hang up oh sorry sorry i know i picking sports teams as an adult for a sport that you don't know is so much fun because like you said you do get into like all right I, i'm just gonna base this solely on like the color of the uniform or their yes. vibe or like this player is an asshole but he's a cocky asshole and i kind of like that you know yeah, it's sort of like I, I equate it to uh, like when you go to the racetrack and you're like, I like that horse's name. Ooh, the jockey wears purple. <laughs> Click, yes. <laughs> Betting on him or whatever, you know. I yeah. mean, if, if horse racing is even legal anymore. I, and also, as you're learning about everything Gabrus knows about sports, it all is around gambling. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm like, my favorite sport is craps. <laughs> like, <laughs> a, few, a few years back, I, I was like, you know what? I want to make a concerted effort to get into English Premier League soccer. And I was like, I wonder what team I should get. And I started asking around, and someone was like, "You should do the uh, the Tottenham Spurs." And I was like, "Why is that?" Well, they um, their their fans like the Tottenham is like a, a traditional Jewish neighborhood in England, so that should be for you. And I was like, mm, "Wait, I think I'm good." <laughs> I want I wanted to pick my fandom, but I did not want to be profiled into fandom. <laughs> I notice yeah, you're yeah, Afro. I, I know I am Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I notice I have the most Jewish last name of all time, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want to root for the Tottenham Jews. Dude, I have to say, and this may come across as just uh, old man, white guy uh, saying the wrong thing, but having a name like Pablo Goldstein, where you just lay out like, like it's just so perfect. Like, there's rarely a name that's like, could like conveys exactly where your like your culture or your makeup or anything like that. Yeah, it's like it, they're just two very uh, sort of indicative or like sort of uh, iconic names from two different cultures. To have them just smashed together, like that's it's such a fucking awesome. Reading that as a byline, especially as, since you're a writer, like reading that as a byline, you're like this guy. This is fucking. It almost could be like an alias. Like they, it's such a cool name that it almost seems like it's a ca- like a name you came up with. <laughs> I mean, but it is. Name your family. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've, had people, <laughs> I've had people ask me, like, so it's a pen name. It's like, no, I'm Mexican and Jewish. <laughs> like, it's you, could, you could figure that out. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> it's all right there. It's like, and, I'm fr- right. and I'm from LA, so there are many Jews here and many Mexicans. Sometimes they come together. <laughs> yeah, would you believe it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that makes even more sense being an L.A. resident like you like that's such a great distillation of two big cultures that are here. That's such a I, the, ah, you yeah. you're like you're like the this sort of 
you're weirdly like in symbolic of Los Angeles in a way as a, I, as a I, native. I, I am Los Angeles is what I like to tell everybody <laughs> when I, when I meet them, you know, you like, you like to be walking away on film, turn around in the rain and go, I am Los Angeles. That's yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> that's a Vinny Chase Queens Boulevard reference. If anyone else is 40 and raised on entourage. <laughs> I, I, I had a running joke where I would say my middle name was um, Hollywood for a while. And then, and then an acquaintance of mine from high school who I hadn't seen in like 10 years came up to me at a bar and asked if that was real. And I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta stop saying this. Pablo Hollywood Goldstein is a fucking great name. And that, that, <laughs> Naming yourself Hollywood and living in LA is such a funny like you can only be named Hollywood if you're like a fighter pilot who wears sunglasses or like you're a dentist who bleaches his hair in New Jersey. Like that's how you get the nickname Hollywood. But living in Hollywood and calling yourself Hollywood is such a dick move in a great way. Or, or you could be a Hollywood Hulk Hogan and re he's referring to Hollywood, Florida, right? Yes, yes, where where Terry Hogan is from. <laughs> That's right. He becomes Hollywood Hulk Hogan when he dies. His beard black. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they somehow found a way to make Hollywood even trashier. <laughs> uh, hey, if if anyone has the power to do it, it's our lovely state of Florida. Mm -hmm. Wait, so Pablo, are you a lifelong NBA fan? Are you a lifelong Lakers fan? Is that like a family team for you guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, not so much a family team because my family wasn't super into basketball, but um, they were super into. Uh, uh, baseball. So growing up in LA, huge Dodger fan, huge Laker fan. And yeah, it's, I, I just, it's my favorite sport. Like I love the Dodgers for a lot of people. They think my personality might be only that I'm a Dodger fan, <laughs> <laughs> but, but to tell you the truth, I can't watch a single baseball game that doesn't have the Dodgers in it. Like I find the game so boring. Whereas for basketball, I, you could put on two like mid-level teams and I'd be super into it and even without any money on it. Yeah, I, I I think I could kind of agree with that. That baseball is definitely baseball has to be a Yankee game for me to want to watch, and that's actually what brought me up for like the idea for uh, to talk to you about on this episode is uh, I'm a Knicks, Yankees, Giants fan. Giants loyalty, like Giants are my football is my favorite sport to watch. The Giants are my favorite team, so like that is never going to change. This fight I live out here. I can't really enjoy baseball except Yankees and arguably live. I could watch a live game between anybody just because like it's more it's more but not like weekly. I couldn't like go to a Dodgers game weekly and get any enjoyment out of it. But basketball is something that I'm like, yes, I was a Knicks fan growing up, but I was never that into it. And now I'm out here. And since a lot of my friends are comedians and comedy writers, apparently the overlap with basketball fandom is enormous in that world. So I'm like, do I become a Clippers or a Lakers fan just to have like some culture to attach myself to here and uh, just some... be becoming a Clippers fan would be such the LA TV writer TV actor cliche please don't become a Clippers fan <laughs> <laughs> I know but I understand where a lot of these people are coming from because if they're loyal to any other team before this it's hard to like want to like the Lakers because you at some point didn't like them the Clippers you like arguably maybe never had an opinion on until you moved here and you're like Oh, I'll get I'll go to that party. But there is something about the Lakers and my friend Nick Weiger, a friend of the podcast who you probably know, he's also a Lakers fan and I'm like that's and like the Lakers have Nicholson and sort of like the legendary attitude. I downloaded the Showtime Lakers audiobook. I'm like maybe the Lakers are my fandom. Maybe that's where I need to go. And I'm not asking you to sell me on it, but if you want to talk to me a little bit about uh, what what makes you like the Lakers or because because Clippers does feel like any every one of my transplant friends is uh, a Clippers fan now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, here's the thing about the Lakers and Lakers fans and Laker fandom. It is so easy to be a Lakers fan. And I, and I say that knowing that, you know, we haven't made the play, although that's going to end in a month. We haven't made the playoffs in seven years. Our <laughs> team has been awful. Um, there was interference family fighting between uh, owner Jeannie Buss and her dumb idiot brothers. Um, but I, I understand all the hatred towards Lakers fans and the franchise because we deserve it. We're, we're basically the Yankees of, of basketball, except that I think, and no offense to the Yankees, I think the Lakers fandom in history is so much more fun. Um, you, you mentioned you, uh, you've been listening to Showtime, the book by Jeff Perlman, yeah. which is all about the Showtime Lakers, which if people are listening, they don't know, um, refers to the Lakers of the 1980s, um, uh, spearheaded by Maddox Johnson. They were flashy. They were fast. 
And most importantly of all, they were owned by this guy, Dr. Jerry Buss, who bought the team in 1979, which was the same year that Magic Johnson uh, was drafted as a rookie. And Jerry Buss, is a, who uh, died uh, about seven years ago, super fascinating guy. He was a literal rocket scientist who came from nothing, who during the 1950s, he was working at like Lockheed Martin or something, <laughs> building <laughs> weapons of destruction for the U.S. Army. And he fucking hated it. So he and a buddy took $1,000, bought um, an apartment building, renovated it, started renting it out. By the end of the decade, he's one of the richest men in L.A., and he's like, I want to buy the, I want to buy a sports team. He's living this glamorous lifestyle. He's, he's a playboy. He's flying to Vegas. He's, he's just like, uh, he, he probably was a douchebag, but <laughs> yeah. you probably, I, there's so many people in history or in like pop culture that I'm like obsessed with in that way where you're like, Oh, they're so cool. And you're like, but God help me if I had to like interact with them for an extended period of time i'd probably like hate never meet your heroes <laughs> i actually take that back though because on all accounts that i've re read and researched going from people who played for him from him down to like ticket takers and everything he's the kind of guy everyone always referred to like he knew your name he was so down to earth he by the end of his life he was a billionaire but he was just like this down to earth guy from wyoming Okay, anyway, good, good news, good news. 1979, he buys the Lakers. And at the time, the NBA was not anything what it is today. Like, Magic Johnson's first year, Lakers win the NBA Finals, and the NBA Finals are not shown live on TV. That's how <laughs> low of a second-tier league the NBA was. I had no idea. That's yeah, wild. It's, it's crazy to comprehend that. Like, the NBA was on tape delay. They showed Game 6 the next day. <laughs> But so Jerry Buss, is, he he saw he he basically saw the future of the NBA in 1979. He was like, "All right, we have an organ player in our stadium. Fuck that. We're bringing in the USC marching band. They're going to play all all game. It's going to be super fun." He saw that there was no entertainment in between timeouts, so he's like, "You know what? Let's get the Laker girls first first cheerleaders in, in sports." He's like, "We I want to I want to make this the hottest place in LA." So he turned what was the former owner's uh, like private club underneath the stadium into the Forum Club, where it became like the cocaine den of the '80s <laughs> <laughs> and like the hottest nights nightclub in Los Angeles. Oh, that's and awesome! Uh, the uh, that's Laker girls and probably the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are two of the most iconic. Like when you think of a cheerleader, you think of two cliches. You think of. Uh, Laker girls and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. So it's, I'm glad to hear that Laker girls were the first, because that phrase Laker girls is probably as big as the phrase cheerleaders. Like, and, you have, and you have to say it the way that the announcer says it on TV. <laughs> Laker girls. It's the creepiest <laughs> thing about Laker games. Yeah. And apparently he recorded that while like his eye up to a hole in the bathroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> Like porkies. Like porkies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so this this team that uh, put out this cookbook that I'm writing about is the 1985 Lakers, which is arguably the most famous of that Showtime era because they were the ones who finally defeated the Boston Celtics. And the right, rivalry right. between the Lakers and Celtics, like, it was very personal for, for, for all the men and women because it, it was – not just the players who were pissed off, but the, the wives, the, the training staff, the coaches, everyone hated each other. And for good reason. Ah, feels. A better way to feel better. Premium CBD that'll keep your head clear and help you feel your best. CBD is proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. I use it sometimes as a couple of drops in the morning. Uh, with my coffee just to get my mind and body right but I definitely take it before bed because I appreciate uh, the help I have a little bit of a trouble sleeping so for me this helps with my sleeplessness and I believe it's anxiety induced sleeplessness due to current situations in the society and all that stuff but it really works for me so uh, I highly like all you got to do is place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes it's CBD oil Uh and if you're not sure exactly what that means, if you're new to CBD, Feels even offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. There's no hangover. There's no high. There's no addiction. It's a community. So join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month, and you can save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Uh, 
If you become a member, you get 50% off your first order. So do us a favor. Become a member and you get 50% off your first order of Premium Feels CBD. You you saying uh, the Lakers having a real rivalry with the Celtics. I can get behind a team based solely on some anti-Boston sentiments. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a Yankee oh, yeah. fan. So, like, if the Lakers uh, – if, if being part of the Laker fandom is hating the Celtics, I can get behind I can get behind that a little bit. I've always just arbitrarily hated the Celtics to, just because they were a Boston team growing up. <laughs> well, well there, there was always a tinge of well-deserved racism when it came to Boston <laughs> Celtics fans. I, I mean, these, these are the fans who – so, Bill Russell was the greatest Boston Celtic of all time in the 60s. Uh, he he won them, I think, 11 championships. He became their head coach, first black head coach. And Boston fans repaid him one time by breaking into his house and shitting in his bed. <laughs> not not a joke. No, I know, but I don't, and I don't yeah. even mean to laugh because that no, is no. terrifying. Yeah. But that is a very funny specific to do. <laughs> it, on the 1985 team, uh, the Lake the Lakers got this guy Bob McAdoo, who became who was a former MVP in the 70s. His career kind of cratered. Um, but they brought him back in 85 as a bench player. And he told his teammates, like, we got to kick their ass because Boston is where black careers go to die. Oh shit. I like that. And, uh, I like that attitude too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, and then the Boston is like, uh, like LA's got magic. Uh, everyone's got like their lead play. And then of course, Boston's number one go-to guy is fucking Larry bird. A giant blonde fucking, uh, white guy. And, and Larry Larry Bird is cool. Like, yes, he, yeah, he's he not. He's not. Ass. He's not into. Man, but I I just watched the fucking uh, the um the last the, dance or the last dance. Jesus, yeah, I was gonna call it the longest march, which is definitely something else. Yeah, that, that, you know that sports <laughs> documentary about the Baton Death March. <laughs> yeah, man, well, not a lot of Jordan stuff in it. Actually, pretty upsetting. <laughs> but uh, I was watching the last dance and. Any interaction that Larry, Magic, uh, they all – like just growing up in a time where the three of those guys, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and fucking Michael Jordan were in the – like that's just – that's insane. Those are major major personalities and like God-tier level players in that they were like markedly so much better than everyone else. Or at least icon- like uh, fandom-wise rose above every sing- every other person. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the crazy thing about that era and like the era that the Showtime Lakers existed in is, you know, like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, as we we're saying, we're building this league from the ground up. And but MJ wasn't what we he we think of him now. You know, he right. was still up and coming young player, an incredible player who dropped like 60 points in the playoffs his second year. But, you know, he was always the guy who couldn't get over the hump. And right. you always see that with great players like Jordan uh, like Kobe after Shaq retired, or excuse me, after Shaq got traded, and with LeBron until he finally won, they're always like being compared back to Jordan until they come over, get over yeah. that. And that hump is like a couple of things, like them getting a couple of years into the league, getting better, but also them getting players that they like uh, the the management slowly building a team. Like, okay, well, we got one guy right here who's a fucking dominant force. Let's start fucking. Uh, scooping up some other people to play that can complement their style. Yeah, and and, that, and that's the cool thing about the NBA is that you can see very clear delineated eras of style. Um, for for most of the NBA, it's been you need a center, you need a huge center who can score, who can who can block, who can play defense, and you kind of build a team around him. But that has completely changed in this last decade nowadays a center the traditional center pretty much doesn't exist you have guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo um, from Greece the reigning MVP he is seven feet tall but can run and pass like a point guard a foot tall shorter than him you have guys like uh Brooke Lopez who for years was your prototypical center who in the last couple years has gone from taking zero three-pointers his first seven years in his career to like 800 or excuse me like 400 Three, three pointers in a season. Like the game has just completely changed largely due to new advanced stats that have led to this rise of guys like Steph Curry, James Harden, uh, Dame Lillard. Like the game is just completely played outside the three point arc now. 
Oh, okay. So that's what I was going to ask you. Like when you were saying these new stats, three pointers is like the is the new thing. I, it makes yeah, sense yeah. that eventually it should. You're like, hey, why don't we master the thing that's worth more in this? Like, I I know dunks look fucking great, but if you're if you just have five snipers, it feels like yeah. if I was designing my like fucking NBA Jam team to just win but not to be cool, you might just pick like you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of the names I remember of the three-point guys like from when I was a kid, like Dan Marley, Mark Price, uh, just the goofiest white guys who were known yeah. as like three-point ninjas <laughs> at the time. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. My but, dad, but, but, growing up, sorry, my dad was a six-foot-five white guy who grew up playing basketball with like all black dudes because of the town and city we're from. So he like his favorite player on any team was like, who's the most awkward white guy with like a mustache. Like whoever that guy was, was my dad was like, that's my favorite. Like he was just, and maybe in hindsight, it was racism partially, <laughs> but it was definitely also partially like just self identifying with. And it's like, this guy works hard. Like I did, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that is, that is totally a thing in the NBA and, and in sports in general, but especially the NBA, because it is like three fourths uh, black that they're, there is almost always this like goofy quote unquote lunch pail white guy <laughs> yeah. on the show, on the Showtime Lakers. It was Kurt Rambis. Oh yeah. Uh, the goggles guy. Yeah. The goggles <laughs> looked like a fucking accountant, <laughs> but was an amazing basketball player for what he did. I mean, his role was solely defense getting rebounds. The only time he would shoot the ball was, you know, if he got an offensive rebound or something, but yeah, he, he was the prototypical white lunch pail guy. <laughs> And I'm sure your dad had posters in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, wait, so ba- back up and tell me about uh, the this transition to three pointers. Like you were saying, like is that's like the new strategy now in the NBA, or at least that's like we're seeing it, uh, some people winning with this strategy. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the late '90s, they, the the league started to institute a couple new rules. Um, one was uh, like a lessening of hand checking which made it back in the day as a defender, you could be much rougher on someone and yeah. they start calling more fouls. And another was they instead, they let teams uh, do zone defense, which hasn't really played that big of a part, but sometime, I think in 2006 or 2007, um, this guy named Daryl Morey became general manager of the Houston Rockets. And he was, he is, he's still the man, general manager. He is basically like the money ball of NBA Oh, like, cool. like he went to MIT, he has a master's in business in like statistical analysis. And he basically created a, an organization around these advanced statistics. And with by this last decade, the 2010s, the NBA had instituted these new cameras in each arena that allowed greater tracking of statistics all the way down to like miles per hour. Um, they, they have every stat for every player shot. So you can see these shot charts that are green here and red there. And he basically started building a team that's like, all right, these mid range jumpers that are worth two points. These are just worthless. Like if you can get three point guys who can shoot at X percentage, we're going to win more game, far more games than we, we lose. And slowly that's been kind of influencing the NBA, just like it did in, uh, in major league baseball where general managers were a lot of times used to be just like dumb ex players <laughs> right. knowing what the fuck they were doing. Uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas um, are now these like super smart MIT guys, you know, for, for better or worse, that's what it is nowadays. Yeah. And, and this has been totally exemplified by uh, the Golden State Warriors. They're, they, they have had traditional centers like Andrew Bogut on their team, but they're kind of known for running these really small lineups where everybody can shoot, everybody can pass, and they just dominate. Oh, that's cool. You must, if, yeah. If you look at it and you're like, oh, if if we get these three guys shooting at least this percentage three pointers, like that wins X amount of times out of Y or whatever. And you're just like, oh fuck, okay. And then you start building your club towards that, and then you're like, all right, well, this season we got trade for another guy who's got sixty one percent, ideally from the right side of the rim, because then we can have like people yeah. just have snipers all over. No, no one in LA is allowed to be a Golden State Warriors fan, right? Uh, not, not, not if you're not if you're from LA. I mean, yeah. growing up, I had a lot of friends from Northern California, and I went to school in Central California, which is all—it's only SoCal, NorCal, bros. Yeah, and 
everybody in NorCal used to be a Sacramento Kings fan. Now this is anecdotally. So if you're a Golden State Warriors fan, diehard, don't, you know, don't get mad at me, but (laughs) they're all Kings fans because they used to have this great team and a great rivalry with the Lakers. Oh, right, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, Yeah. the Golden State Warriors have kind of become the Lakers of this decade because they are so successful and because they have replaced Hollywood glitz and glamour as the asshole factor with tech because they're owned by tech dudes. (laughs) Well, now, okay, so now this is another thing, and this is funny because this comes into play. We were talking about the National Ruck, the NRL, and, like, picking a team, and you know, like, sort of attitudes based on their locations. We're talking Boston. We're talking that they get Larry Bird. We're talking Southern California. They get the fucking Coke Den of of the Forum, the Forum (laughs) Club. And then in NorCal, they get, like, the fucking Silicon Bros. Like, they get the fucking tech bros who come in and uh, tech, like that's so fu- like playing that stereotype out. It's like uh, Kid Rock takes over for the fucking like Orlando Magic, and it's like he's got. They're like they're just going fucking. They're just going full tr- uh, Florida trash. Like playing out the the arbitrary stereotypes of the cities on top of and like it's funny. Like the Knicks are going under around the same time as New York is going under. <laughs> well, the Knicks have been going under for twenty five <laughs> years now. The, yeah. This, this predates coronavirus, but yeah. But, but but yeah, teams definitely for for marketing reasons adopt like their city's kind of character. I mean, in the early two thousand tens, the the Memphis Grizzlies had these great teams with. Um, Mark Gasol, which is the brother of Pal Gasol, and uh, Zach Randolph, and they were the the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies because they, they played great defense, they were tough, they would fight, and they, they would often match up against the Clippers, which at the time had like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and they were kind of like taking on the Lakers Hollywood shit. Like, yeah, because they're because they're like actual like Blake Griffin is like a working comic actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause he, he gets funnier die residuals of like one penny every every week. Oh yeah, that I did. That is something you notice. Like Pittsburgh gets like the, wear the steel curtain, you know. Like you kind of like add your own attitude, and then the fans help project that onto the fucking team, and then the team also can lean into it in social media. And uh, you notice a lot of like in stadium. I call them bits that can't be what they're called, but that's like, you know, it's like, oh, whenever, like in Portland, it's like free cold brew whenever so, whenever Clyde Drexler gets a dunk or whatever. That is three different eras of reference there. But. <laughs> yeah, that's why Clyde actually left. He, he, he didn't have cold brew yet. He's like, I'm not playing for this city until they get fucking cold brew. <laughs> it's not that hard. You just leave coffee out overnight. <laughs> Um, what 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 do you like about being a Lakers fan now? What are some appeal to being a Lakers fan currently? I mean, as I'm just sitting here looking at like LA fandom, it's like I I I'm leaning towards Lakers over Clippers just because it feels like so many of my friends are Clippers fans, and then like, but a couple of my Southern California friends like uh, Amir Blumenfeld and Nick Weiger are Lakers fans and they're front. And I almost want to be like, and I don't have that much loyalty to the Knicks. So it doesn't like the Knicks Lakers is the only, like I could flip completely almost. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the culture or the players on the Lakers now that you're, that you really enjoy or what's it like to go to a game too, because I'm sure that's going to be part of it for me in the end. Yeah. Well, to talk to you about being a Lakers fan this year is very simple and why it's good is because they're the best team in the league because they have LeBron James, the most, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time. Yes. The most transcendent player alive. Inarguably top three. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like at yeah. least if you don't think he's the best player ever, you can't say he's the sixth best player ever. Yeah, no, if he's out of your top three of all time, you're a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they, they also have uh, Anthony Davis, aka the Brow, as someone with a thick unibrow. I love that we traded for him. He's, he he is a, one of those tr- um, new generation uh, seven foot centers who can do it all. He can pass. He can shoot three pointers. Just an incredible person to watch. And so, so the reason why I, I started Goldstein and Gasol actually is that kind of my thesis statement, for a better part, is is that it's really easy to be a Lakers fan because they have such a culture of winning. But it's not always fun. And I, I kind of compare it to my Dodgers fandom because they, they last won a World Series in 1988, a few months before I was born. 
and they haven't won since. And I've seen heartbreak. <laughs> I was at Game Seven, the World Series. That fucking oh. sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but being a Dodger fan to me is always fun. Like I, I can take people to Dodger Stadium on a hot summer's day. We get hit up the shortstop before, get a little buzz going, <laughs> yeah. go to the game. Like it's you're going to have an amazing time. I know you said you wouldn't have fun going to Dodger games on a weekly basis. I think you would. Uh, I I could do like I like going to watch baseball live. Like it's a very fun experience, but it is it's long and it's a little boring and that's why live makes it better because you can like drink and oh, hang yeah. out with friends and wander around at whenever you want. But like repetitive I if it was if I live near Yankee Stadium, I could probably watch the Yankees every week. Not sure if I could get myself to the Dodgers. But this year, I mean, if baseball if and when baseball comes back, I definitely intend to going to more Dodgers games. My wife yeah. and I haven't been to a Yankee Dodgers game in Dodger Stadium, which we think would be fucking yeah. wild fun if we no, could. No, in in twenty twenty five, I'm taking you to the left field pavilion. <laughs> We're gonna get fucked up with some cholos. It's gonna be super fun. I'm in. I want I wanna see what the Dodger version of a bleacher creature is. Get me set up with them. Oh, uh, that's my, my crew. Yeah, it's so it's so much fun. Oh, fuck, I love I love Dodger games. You can hear my enthusiasm over here. I'm so bummed I'm not going to a game this year. I, uh, I know it's fucking but, brutal. <laughs> but yeah, so back to the Laker fandom. So like I said, it's it, it can be kind of easy to be a Lakers fan because you always know they're going to compete in some way, even though they haven't really this last decade. But sometimes it's not fun. And as someone who got to experience a championship by the time I was like ten years old something that a lot of people don't get to do. Right. My, my wish for this year was like, I just wanted to watch a fun team because once they traded for Anthony Davis, I was like, here we go again. We're the fucking Lakers. We, we traded for this superstar. Now we're about to sign a bunch of like veterans on a one-year veterans contract. This team could be okay. They could be good to very great, but they're probably not going to like get along. It's going to take a while. Um, long story short, I was completely wrong. After like a week, they clicked, and it's been an amazing, fun season. <laughs> there is that little bit of a Yankees uh, attitude towards the Lakers, even as a fan, where you're like, like the idea that you're just supposed to win every year it makes it like the only thing left is failure. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's e when it's when it's either win the championship or you're a failure. Like. I was in college in the early 2000s when the Yankees were in the World Series like, you know, four out of six times or whatever. And when they lost to the Red Sox, we fucking went apeshit. And we were like, why are we so upset? Like we did like three other years. We got to fucking sit here at bars and watch our teams win. Like we like three out of four is insane. <laughs> like we I, I just relax. <laughs> yeah, and, but, but when you're the fan of it, it's like, shit, now we're set up. The only way I'm allowed to be happy is in uh, winning the championship here. And that gets a little frustrating. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is definitely my least favorite part about being a Lakers fan. Like I hate that it's either a championship or the season's a failure mentality. Right, I, right, like, right. Yes. I really hate that as a Lakers fan, especially because so in 2013-ish or so, Kobe got this, Kobe uh, destroyed his Achilles. It was like a crazy uh, in-game moment. And the Lakers decided to award him this like $50 million contract basically as a thank you. And what it did was it hampered the team but it did allow us to get some good draft picks. And we drafted these young guys like Brandon Ingram, uh, Cal Kuzma, Alonzo Ball, Julius Randle, uh, D'Angelo Russell. And it was like, okay, we're like building this like young core. There's growing pains, a lot of growing pains, some horrible coaching, but it was like fun. And then to get uh, Anthony Davis, we traded all of those people pretty much except for Kuzma. And I was like, here we go again. Like I wanted to watch like, these young kids like – develop and mature into great basketball players but of course now like i'm like okay well we're gonna win a championship but also <laughs> with, with this whole we haven't talked about it yet but the whole coronavirus reset oh that yeah yeah that is coming up we did a, we did we talked a little bit about the bubble just culturally and what that could mean of trying to smuggle in like uh women and stuff and drugs and stuff was like the main the main thing we were talking about the bubble was like how does that how do you tell millionaires to hang out in an Orlando hotel full time is like the main conversation. But talk to me a little bit about how this is working like league wise, like with the reset. Right. Because now not even all the teams are getting invited down there. Right. Yeah. It, this this is really th this reset the NBA doing is pretty crazy um, to give some context. Um, so we're, we're recording this in late July. The, the league comes back in 
excuse me, we're recording this in late June and the leak comes back in late July. So by the time this episode comes out, things might have completely changed. Yeah, we're gonna be in mo- we're gonna be in motion for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, to make a long story short, the NBA is restarting its regular season with 22 of the 30 teams. They're gonna play like eight games as a warm up, and then they're gonna have a full um, NBA playoffs inside the Disney World Wide World of Sports <laughs> Complex in Orlando under a quote unquote <laughs> bubble. Um, that bubble is not a real bubble because I've listened to podcasts with like Disney fans, like Disney theme park, super fans who went on the no dunks podcast. And they're like, Oh yeah. Last week, uh, Disney fans were allowed to stay at the three hotels designated for NBA players already. So already the bubble has been burst. Um, about, about a week ago, the NBA released this 113 page guideline for living in the bubble, which includes rules as obscure as like, once you play with a card, a deck of cards, you have to toss that deck of cards <laughs> and that players can play ping pong, but not doubles ping pong, even though the players are bumping their sweaty bodies into each other for months and months. Yeah. I, 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 I know. It, it's so, I just, I just know like. I wouldn't want to be told to stay in a bubble and I'm not accustomed to like the millionaire professional athlete lifestyle. And I'm like, I don't want to be in fucking Orlando. I don't want to be stuck without my stuff in like the, a carpeted hotel room. I mean, I'm assuming. And also then you start like, there's gotta be a limited number of suites. There's going to be status amongst the teams. It's not like, like the rookie is going to stay in the same room, like in the same level of room as LeBron. And then Team to team, it's like, yeah, the fucking air conditioning is out in our hotel. And like now this and then after watching the last dance, like the fucking I, I if, if I'm on one of these teams, I'm going full Belichick. I'm like, I fucked with the fucking exhaust. System. I would be like fucking with hotels, oh, yeah. power and shit. Well, if I was in a hotel with with uh, an AC that doesn't work, I'd be at least glad that the coronavirus is not flowing through my, right. <laughs> my hotel room. <laughs> right. um, but, but yeah, so, so already one Laker has said he's not going to play. Um, oh, Avery, Avery Bradley are, are one of our starting guards and multiple players have already said they're not going to play either for family reasons because they might have a, a child who's like immunocompromised or um, because they feel that the black lives matter movement will be kind of hampered because of, the, the the resurgence of sports Interesting. Uh, uh, both uh both avery bradley who i mentioned and uh kyrie irving both brought that up specifically during a player's call with the league that they were like we really won't be like they basically said we don't want like lip service which today the nba kind of did by saying hey we're gonna uh paint black lives matter on the court <laughs> which is great but like they were asking for serious like investment in black communities and things like that also, saying Black Lives Matter out of one side of your mouth and then getting, uh, you know, a 70 percent uh, black superstar league to all live within uh, a arguable like pandemic accelerator inside. Yes. <laughs> yes. The idea is to, to keep everyone safe, but it's hard to say Black Lives Matter. And, and I know I'm just white guys spouting the shit, but Black Lives Matter at one side of your mouth and at the other side of your mouth is like, hey, all you black people, uh, black guys gather down here and help us make money for the league. Like oh, it feels yeah, no. it feels very much like it's butting heads there. Well, well, one thing I forgot to mention about this NBA season being crazy, besides Kobe's death and coronavirus and everything, is that before a game was even played, the NBA got in a huge controversy with China because um, Daryl Morey, the general manager who I brought up a little bit a while ago, he uh, tweeted in support of the pro-democracy Hong Kong demonstrators from late 2019. Oh, yes, yes. I remember hearing about this now, just not knowing who any of the people mm-hmm. involved were. But keep going. Yes, yes. Yeah, and um, China is a huge business partner with NBA. It's enormous how much billions of dollars um, they pump into the league. And they were not too happy with uh, Daryl Morey speaking out. And there was a big controversy, um, infamously, LeBron James tweeted out some, I, I, I don't want to misquote him, but he kind of, he definitely took the pro-capitalist side and not the pro-human um, rights side. Yeah, yeah. Got him in some hot water. Yeah, but not, but not like fully like he went full dictatorship. It seemed a little bit like he didn't realize exactly how, what he was uh commenting against it didn't it felt yeah. like that yeah yeah and i, and I don't want to like like I, I think lebron james is very genuine in what he does for like the rights of black people in america and the yeah. way he speaks about everybody 
but he is at, you know, he is a businessman. So I like, I don't agree with him, but I understand where he's coming from <laughs> as a guy who's very quickly going to become a billionaire. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's he's going to be, he's going to be uh, selling shows, you know, he's <laughs> right. already sold many, many shows. It, oh yeah. yeah. He's got a lot. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife worked on uh survivor's remorse way back in the day, which LeBron was an EP on. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I love how Mike O'Malley was the, the showrunner of that. Show. I know, it's so weird. I'm like, that's the guts guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like here we have a show about a young black athlete kind of coming to terms with his newfound wealth and fame and dealing with issues of family and the black community. Let's get the guy from fucking guts. For sure. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but yeah, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's that, but that is, is something we've been hearing about a lot in, in Hollywood too. Is like we got to tell black stories with white showrunners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only way we could possibly do it. Uh, so, but uh, as of as of today, as of late June, um, this podcast will probably come out in a couple of weeks. Um, the league is going ahead, and if if I'm in the if I'm the twelfth place team or whatever that's got to go down, I'm like, eh, like just bump me out, dude. Let me have another year off. Let me just shoot around my house. I like make it the top eight teams. Just wrap it up. That that kind of already happened. Um, the Portland Trailblazers were kind of on the bubble, and people within the organization were like, guys, even if we make it, we're not winning. <laughs> right. So like, what's the point, really? Let's not we're, risk we're, we're our lives. Get- <laughs> yeah, we're going to get infected. J- just a few hours ago, um, so a day ago, this will date the podcast for NBA fans, but um, a couple of players on the Brooklyn Nets tested positive for coronavirus. And just a few hours ago, the Denver Nuggets announced that three members of their 35-member uh, traveling team that's allowed to enter the bubble have tested positive for coronavirus. <laughs> so they're shutting down the NBA facility, their training facilities, so they can quarantine and get rid of the virus before they enter the bubble. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, my prediction is it's just going to, I honestly don't think the playoffs are going to finish. I think they're going to start them, but there's going to be an outbreak and they're going to have to postpone it or cancel it. I, I, I'm with you. I really think it's like a little too high risk right now. Also, this is a good time for like major corporations, and I guess that is what the NBA is call leagues, whatever, to like help set some examples of like, mm-hmm. of like if they're just like we're not coming back, we want to protect our players and our players' families and our and our workers and our workers' families. That means a lot if they're opening up, like you know what I mean. And it just shit is so hot. Like this, we're recording this on June thirtieth. Shit is so hot right now. Like. Things are skyrocketing in a lot of uh, states again. Like at, we we live in LA, which is blowing the fuck up again. For uh, we're we're in like this sort of second wave situation, and it just feels like what are we trying to do? Like you're hearing people are having a hard time getting tests, getting unemployment. All this shit is going on, and I know it has nothing to do with, en- but it's. It, it's a little bit it, it bothers me a little bit that so much energy is into like all right well let's make sure we keep testing the support staff for the portland trail you know like make sure yeah. the denver nuggets assistant coaches are getting tests and getting all the treatment they need and like let's get the top of the line everything sent to orlando to help with the end it's like maybe we yeah. like and i'm not saying the nba has got to go out there and start taking people's temperatures and giving people tests in the fucking stadiums or whatever but there's got to be some sort of like if if it like if it was a world war you know if it was a world war it'd be like we have to do our parts back home and it's like not about the ba- not about basketball it's about this or whatever it feels like we could really help ourselves <laughs> overall yeah, yeah there, there's a there's a modern day Rosie the Riveter out there who's trying to make sure that San Antonio Spurs coach Greg Popovich doesn't die in the right. bubble because he's like seventy years old. There are coaches who are really old and they are in danger. Right, right. I didn't even. I honestly was not even thinking of that of old age people. I'm. Th- I was thinking solely of uh, these players and the staff who either have their families there with them or are not going to see their families for fucking fourteen to sixteen weeks, which is an insane setup too. Like it's. It just feels. It feels like such undue stress and undue danger to put on. And and also, because it's still so early in the whole pandemic, we don't really know if 
Corona, uh, if COVID-19 has like lasting effects either. So it's like, oh, a couple of people got it, but they're going to be okay. We don't know if like it makes you more susceptible to X, Y, and Z oh, like, yeah. down the line. Yeah, it seems it seems too risky with how little we know. Yeah, I mean, I've done the, the, the oral swab test. And just this last week, me and my girlfriend were like, we should get an antibodies test. But I just did some research and like, 20% of them are false and are not working. And yeah. there, there's like, some people have said that the antibodies, I guess, disappear after a few months. Like, again, this is the novel coronavirus. So we don't know shit about <laughs> right, it. <right. laughs> We're only on chapter one of this novel. We got to Oh my fuck God. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm, I'm fully prepared to be in my house for like two years. Like yeah. I, I'm looking at it from like a pragmatic angle. I'm just like, I'm not work. I work in TV production. Yeah, I'm not going on set anytime soon. I, yeah. I I've been I've been. This is sort of my new take. It's not anything new. Other people have been saying it, but lately I've just adapted to it. Where our main goal as a society should be getting shit as safe as possible to get kids back in school in September. Like yeah. it, that that should be the main goal of society for the sake of the kids, for the sake of those kids parents, for the sake of those kids parents employers. If like school goes back, it weirdly has a trick like it weirdly has a trickle yeah. up thing where then parents have a break during the day to get work done whether it's remotely or in the office or whatever. But yeah. we should be aiming so these kids, we screwed up their they we didn't screw it up, but their school year was screwed up, and the least we could do is not fuck up a second one. We benefited that this shit hit hard at the end of the school year, and we can just get the kids like, uh, here's some Zoom shit. Go go about your way. But now we should be aiming to be like things should be about getting kids back to school. Like college oh, yeah. kids, high school kids, elementary school, like that should be the most and instead it's like it feel and I mean this is nothing new, but it feels like the people who want businesses open aren't even working or owning those businesses. They want businesses open that they want to go to. Right? Does that make sense? Like we want basketball yeah. to open, not because we think basketball players deserve to play. We oh, yeah. we want them to open because we want to watch basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to get to your first point, like all those bars and restaurants are opening because they don't want to play on they don't want to pay unemployment anymore. That's right. the real reason. <laughs> but yeah, but back to basketball, it's just like I I started this season, so I've been doing this stupid project from September through April. And <laughs> And I've been cooking and writing three to four recipes and blog pieces, blog pieces a week. And I've been looking forward to back then. I was looking forward to April for so long because I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, this, this dumb project of mine. And then I'm going to relax for two months and just watch playoff basketball and watch the Lakers <laughs> take home and the title. And now I'm, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, please cancel this season. Like, yes. this is this is so bad. Florida every day now gets more positive cases than like all of Italy or excuse me, the one County in Florida where Orlando is in gets more positive cases every day than all of Italy. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we're playing basketball. It's we love that. Basketball. <laughs> That's like playing over a fucking montage of in memoriam of young fucking people who had to, like, it stresses me out. I feel like, in a, like if you were watching a movie about a pandemic and someone was like, the basketball league must go on. We're gonna get a, we're gonna get all these rich people who live all over the country all into one place for X amount of time and then send them all home. It feels like you would be like, what are you doing? Like, or in five years we're gonna look back and go, man, if we didn't do that basketball thing, it, things could have been better. If oh yeah, <laughs> I mean maybe I'm wrong and I would love to be wrong and this goes off so yeah. smoothly. Fingers, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that we're wrong. I'm I'm sitting here with my fingers crossed that we're wrong about all. This. But I just have no faith in. Any no. institution? No, because it's, <laughs> it's the one thing that uh, we've all been sort of uh, had our eyes open to over the last couple of years about everything. And we, stuff we knew about was like this pursuit of money above all and money is all that matters. And then we felt that we've and now I think it's even more apparent than ever. And it's like starting like, oh, money is the root of all evil. And in this case of like 
the reason uh, restaurants opened in Los Angeles is because uh, we can't keep paying unemployment. So if the businesses are open, employers can say, come back to work or you don't get unemployment anymore. They open all the businesses. What day do the businesses open? Happens to be the day, the first day of huge protests here in Los Angeles. And and then restaurants are open, and now restaurants are being asked to be closed. So that month that all those restaurants had to, like, on a dime, turn around and be ready to do takeout and delivery and al fresco, and then uh, they finally get to – they do all this work to get open again, and all the waiters and servers and uh, staff, kitchen staff who put themselves at risk are all now just uncut again. And it's like yeah. – this is also people can have – fucking not make their own avocado toast i mean that's a a stereotype about my own people of southern california millennials but still yeah no i mean we we work in entertainment so we know lots of you know bartenders and waiters (laughs) they are uh, have a hundred percent just awful stories about the people who are coming in just like the worst tippers i mean who'd you expect to come in at this time (laughs) but 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 you did mention something about the nba at the end of the day it's a business and for, for a lot of years, especially since um, Adam Silver became commissioner of the NBA in 2014, I want to say, the NBA has been kind of lifted up as like the most progressive league of the most Amer- of the three American sports, which is true, um, but it's still a business. Yeah, but I would also say being the most progressive league beating out the NFL and the MLB. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Redskins and Indians. Uh, you're not winning. You're not winning fucking progressive uh, awards beating out. Oh, we're more progressive than the NFL. It's like, hey, bud. So, yeah. I'm yeah. T- uh- <laughs> yeah the, the, the key point a lot of people brought up back when Adam Silver first became commissioner was that after um, Clippers owner Donald Sterling got caught saying the N-word and saying he doesn't want his – uh, mistress V Stiviano, shout out to V to bring <laughs> black people to games, including Maddie Johnson. Um, Adam Silver banned him for life, but he was an out and about racist for decades. He was one of the biggest slumlords in Los Angeles. Everyone knew he was a racist from his tenants to the players, to the general managers, to <laughs> other owners. So it's not like Adam Silver doing this makes suddenly made the NBA this yeah. progressive bastion of yeah. liberal politics. You know, It feels like taking down the blackface episode, but still hiring exclusively white EPs and showrunners and development and casting and directors. That's so and funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Banning <laughs> Donald Sterling meant that there was never any racism. In the, in in the, the NBA ownership. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I falsely labeled your uh, uh, the G and G project as a podcast earlier, just due to my lack of imagination that anything could be something that isn't a podcast. I I f- keep as I'm talking to you, I'm like, remember, Pablo is a writer, <laughs> so <if> you're, <laughs> you're I'm so self centered. It's like Gabrus, you're the podcaster. Pablo's a writer, so I apologize, podcaster. You writer, <laughs> yeah, Tarzan. Yeah, we very different. Uh, but. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but where can people find this uh, this project that you've been working on, the Goldstein and Gasol? Yeah, this uh, this project you can find it at goldsteinandgasol.com. Um, you'll find all eighty two recipes and pieces, um, including <laughs> the final piece, which is an interview with Julie of Julie and Julia. Oh, awesome! She is awesome. If you're one of those people on Twitter who's like, I wish I could just watch Julie and Julia without the Julie parts. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Julie rocks. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so at goldsteinandgasol.com on Instagram, it's at goldsteinandgasol. On Twitter, it's at goldsteinandgasol. And yeah, you can find all 82 mostly disgusting recipes. <laughs> yeah, did you uh, uh, let let our listeners and, and myself mostly know what was the favorite thing that you cooked? Like, what was the most delicious thing you cooked? Or... Actually, better question, or not better question, but different question. Uh, <laughs> what recipe might you make again? So I, I went back and looked up all 82 recipes I did. And besides the desserts, which were more or less pretty good, there were a grand total of six things I would cook again. <laughs> and this is just for myself, not like cooking for a loved one or a friend. Um, you got yeah, I remember that this was a cookbook from 1985. So a lot of the recipes were like middle America, suburban America, jello molds, casseroles, yes, I, really I, bad dishes. That, um, yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm picturing like uh, lamb and mint jelly and shit like that. Uh, I'm picturing like yeah, I made a crab bisque, a lobster bisque, <laughs> a, a, a baked chicken Reuben, which was fucking disgusting. <laughs> It was, it was a Reuben sandwich is delicious. One yes. of my favorite 
parts of Jewish culture. And this person decided to dump the Rubens content on top of a chicken. And uh, oh, gross. It, it, <laughs> there, there was one meal, uh, a broccoli and chicken casserole that had as an ingredient whipped cream before I baked it. <laughs> and it would... It was so bad that, you know, I had a couple bites and threw it out, but it was so bad that the next morning I woke up at 6 a.m. with searing back pain and was like, oh my God, this fucking casserole is killing me. And it turned out to be a kidney stone. But, uh, <laughs> but for, a, for a hot minute or hour as I was laying on my living room floor, I thought bull ceiling is all it killed me. Well, it hasn't yet. Uh, so you're, you're still here. Um, and Hey, if the league, if the league opens up, let's figure out a way to watch a Lakers game, like over zoom together or something like that. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I might like zoom parties or something once, once the thing gets Yeah. Out. I want like a, I'd love to have like a Laker mentorship, uh, watch with you or with some of the other Laker friends in my life. That'd be awesome. Hell yeah, yeah dude. I feel like this might be of all the stupid cancelable shit I've said on my podcast over the course of the last four years. I feel like I'm going to get the most guff for saying I might be a fucking Lakers fan. <laughs> <laughs> I picture a lot of my New York friends are going to be very upset with me upon saying this, but well, Ewing yeah. and Starks are gone. <laughs> Dude, I mean, the, the the New York Knicks, it's a good thing that you left. I, I, I hate when fandoms are ruined because of an owner and it just goes on for decades and it's clearly the owner's fault. If that's the case, I am totally fine with people being like, you know what? I'm no longer a fan of that team. Yeah. Why? Why? You have to earn me back. You'll have to earn me back. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need Oakley, Mason, Ewing, and Starks. I need a version of that before I come back. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's happening anytime soon for the Knicks. <laughs> nope, nope. They do have a cool former Laker, uh, Julius Randle. You should check him out. He's, oh, he's yes, cool, yes. Cool I, I do know who that is. That's Very awesome. old school type power forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Pablo, thank you so much for coming on High and Mighty, dude. I appreciate it. This has been yeah. great. I, actually, you mentioned uh, me being a podcaster. I, I do have an upcoming podcast I'd like to uh, – can I, can I promote that real quick? Of course, dude. <laughs> um, me and um, my girlfriend, Stevie Anderson, past guest on your podcast. Yeah, from uh, the What's Your Sign podcast. Love that pod. Yeah. Love those Yeah, listeners yeah. might remember from the astrology um, episode. We have a new podcast called uh, Kid Nation Nation, the Pioneer Podcast, <laughs> which is a recap and interview podcast about the beloved 2007 cult classic reality show, Kid Nation. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Like, I know exactly what Kid Nation was. I was working at Best Week Ever when Kid Nation hit, so you would imagine that I had to watch and log a lot of Kid Nation footage at that point. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's, been, that's been our life for the last, like, six months. But we, we, <laughs> we, we have recaps. We have interviews with the crew. We have interviews with some of the castmates like Laurel, Anjay, DK. Anjay is the one yeah. I remember, of course. <laughs> Anjay is awesome. Yeah. His, his up is coming out soon, and... And he is he got bullied on that show, but he's doing fantastic now. He's he's a good kid. I, I believe that Andre is did ended up doing okay in life. He seemed like he had it even then. He had something. Yeah, he was, he was, he's a good smart kid. But yeah, that um all it should by the time this uh this pod is out, all of that should be out. So yeah, uh, Kid Nation Nation, the Pioneer Podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, as always, shitheads. I'm at Gabrus on all social media. Check out Action Boys on Patreon. Actionboys.biz with a Z. And uh, listen to the Gino uh, Lombardo show on Stitcher Premium. That's uh, use promo code Gino for one free month and then cancel. Just listen to my show and cancel because potentially more episodes coming. Wink, wink, listeners. That means there are. Um, Pablo, thank you again. And as for you, shitheads, bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.